Welcome to the McKenzie Investments Podcast. This is the podcast where we have conversations with our experts and get their take on the current events and how they may impact markets. I hope you enjoy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Information relating to investment approaches or individual investments should not be construed as advice or endorsement. Listeners should seek professional advice for their situation. Welcome to the McKenzie Investments Podcast. My name is Matthew Schnur, and I'm delighted to be here with Dustin Reed. Dustin is the Chief Strategist on the McKenzie Fixed Income Team. Dustin, welcome back to the podcast. Great to be here. Thanks for having me, Matt. I've invited you back. We sit here October 6th. Uh, we're just under one month away from the U.S. election. Uh, the current sort of state of the horse race, call it, our polls are showing Biden up seven to eight points uh, nationally. Um, and uh, the Senate is too close to call, according to polls. And Democrats seem like they're very, in very good shape to retain the House. What are your thoughts on uh, on the current state of the horse race? Would you disagree with any of uh, any of those polls, or, or what are your thinking? What's your thinking? Yeah, it's a great question. We're spending a lot of time on the team thinking about it and what it might mean for fixed income and you know markets, you know broadly. Um, I would say first, you know, with sitting here on the sixth with uh, Trump's uh, COVID positive test, we've seen a little bit of an uptick for Biden. I would say since Thursday, Friday last week. So that that spread nationally has has widened out a little bit, not massively, but you know one, two, three points, that sort of thing. Right. You know, I would say that CNN released a poll uh, either late yesterday or early today had sixteen one six uh, spread, um, which was the highest I've seen in a long time. I would be very very cautious around the the sample sample that methodology with the CNN uh, poll. But but the but the directionality and the momentum is clear kind of since Thursday, Friday and the Trump, you know, the Trump COVID story. Um, so that that's kind of where it's at. But to answer your question, I feel that the real state of play is a lot tighter for pre the presidency than where the polls are. And, and you're absolutely right. You know, most polls have had Biden winning or sorry, leading by, you know, anywhere from three to call it 16 with the CNN poll for weeks or months, um, I feel it's closer. Um, I still feel Biden's in the lead, but I feel like um, both from a sampling perspective as well as from like a, a national versus the swing state perspective that there is uh, a little bit of, uh, you know, it hasn't, not everything's getting picked up as it should. I think the race is tight in Michigan. I think the race is pretty tight in Pennsylvania. And that probably means that, you know, from an electoral college perspective, which is really all that matters, because uh, as we recall, four years ago, Clinton won with, I think, three or four percentage points, um, right. you know, spread. Um, you know, you don't you don't necessarily need to win the popular vote to win the presidency. So I do feel it's a bit it's a bit tighter on the presidency side. And I, on the Senate side, as you say, it's unbelievably close. I spend a fair bit of time on this. The Senate is a very, even though it's not as sexy as the as the big race, it really is a big deal from a policy and markets perspective. I spent a lot of time on it trying to understand. There's a very big difference between Biden winning the presidency and the and the Senate staying where it is now, which is Republican, versus right. Biden winning the presidency and the Senate flipping to Democrat to blue. 
there's going to be a major difference in terms of the ability of policy that can get through tax policy, environmental policy, every kind of policy, judicial policy, everything. And um, that's a big deal. It has a big impact for markets from a fiscal perspective. So we spend a, a fair bit of time there. There are, and we can get into it here. Absolutely. Um, there are some very close races in the Senate and it is, it's too close to call. Uh, you can easily see it 50, 50 with the winner of the presidency, essentially breaking the tie um, with, you know, the vice president being uh, would be the effectively the president of the Senate and casting right. that, that, tie, that, that tiebreaker vote. Right. Um, I want to circle back on a lot of things that you've uh, you've just laid sure. out there. Uh, let me sure. start with uh, the analysis on swing states and the presidential yep. um, race being closer than the headline polls might suggest. Yeah. Um, if you're looking at the polls uh, and you, you mentioned the CNN poll, maybe that's a bit of an outlier, but they've tended to be fairly consistent throughout the race. Not a lot of movement. And I yeah. guess my, my question especially considering the last four years with Trump. Uh, he seems like a very polarizing president. You're either sort of for him or against him. You know, are there still are there still swing voters? Or are you talking to like Doug in Pennsylvania and, you know, right. Melissa in, in Michigan and that's about it? Right. Like, yeah. No, that's a fair point. I think that – I think there are still swing voters. Um, you kind of look at some of these little mini, mini town hall panels that like a Fox or a CNN or – whoever are putting on with three, four, five, six people, you still see some people saying, yeah, I'm undecided. Um, okay. And maybe they're cherry, maybe they're cherry picking just to, you know, make good news coverage to be fair. But at the same time, okay. I don't feel that, don't feel that everybody has decided, you know, yeah, it, lo it looks like it's Biden's and, you know, it's easy to go that way. I mean, a lot of people got caught on the looking the wrong way four years ago. And one of the things I've been trying to do is, not pay attention only to polls. I think the polls are, you know, you can't ignore them. And some polls are better than others. Particularly, there's a group called Trafalgar Group. Um, they're out of Georgia, Atlanta, Georgia. They do uh, polling that I think is very reflective and accurate of the electorate. And uh, they were the only polling uh, firm to call Michigan correct for Trump in 16. Um, I believe that was the case for Michigan as well. Uh, sorry, sorry for for Wisconsin as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, they've been named by uh, Real Killer Politics or Politico, one of the two, as the most accurate uh, pollster or for polling forecaster, however they you know deemed it for um, not only for 2016 but also for the 2018 midterm elections. So okay. I spent a lot of time, you know, I don't want to overweight anybody, but I feel like the Trafalgar stuff is pretty good. And when you look at the Trafalgar stuff, it's a lot tighter in PA, Pennsylvania, Michigan, yep. and Wisconsin, kind of the three big swing states. And I'd say there's probably six or seven swing states, but those three are the three key ones. And if you talked to me six months ago, I would have said the same thing. And I'll say the same thing now. Pennsylvania is the swing state of the swing states. Uh, but Trafalgar has it a lot closer than those national polls, and I tend to believe it. Um, there's also a lot of other interesting data kind of beyond the poll. So this is kind of the minutiae stuff that I kind of like. It's a bit wonky, but I think it's interesting. So, for example, uh, did you know that uh, in Pennsylvania, um, the ratio of uh, Democrats to Republicans requesting mail-in or absentee ballots is 17 to 1. 
17 to one. So what does that tell you? So that tells you that there's a decent chance that Trump is going to win Pennsylvania on election night. But because there's a 17 to one ratio of requests for absentee and mail-in ballots, Democrat to Republicans, you could see uh, you could see uh, Biden come back and win the state the next day or even the, the following day after that. Right. And if it's really, really close on the Electoral College and it's just that balance, and obviously, maybe it's not obvious, you know, but having spent a lot of time in the States, I, you know, kind of figure this out. If you don't win something, then it, the points just don't disappear. They go to somebody else. So if you don't get those 20 points for Electoral College votes, then the other guy gets it. So it's a swing of 40. So if it's tight for Electoral College and you get all these these ballots coming in, uh, you know, two days later, that could be that could be a very big deal. So, you know, I'm I'm watching that and I don't know what happens. You know, PA has the ability. Pennsylvania has the ability to count votes for up to three days after the election. That's their you know, that's their that's their state law. Michigan. um, Last I saw. 2.3 2.3 million people, a little about a third of the state, had requested a mail-in or absentee ballot. A third of the state, a third of the registered voters, anyway, or at least the eligible voters, maybe a better way to say it. A third of the eligible voters in Michigan um, have requested a, a you know a mail-in or absentee ballot. Michigan has 14 days to count their right. votes. So you hear a lot of these headlines, and we've been on this since May or June about concern around not knowing when we wake up or even the night of November 3rd or when we wake up November 4th. But these are some of like the actual details. You know, Michigan is a very much a swing state, um, you know, let, a small five figures difference in, in votes last year. Uh, sorry, last election, 2016. Yep. Now you've got 2.3 million people. So it's stuff like that that I think makes it really challenging. And then there's some other interesting stuff like, you know, Biden for a long time was, you know, quote unquote, stuck in his basement, you know, whatever, fine. Sure. Um, you know, rightly or wrongly, uh, you know, for the purpose of this, you know, conversation, I'm agnostic. But, uh, you know, at some point in the summer, he said, late summer, he said, look, I'm going to stay for another week and then I'm going to go out and start doing rallies. And then he popped out the next day and showed up in Pittsburgh. Oh, why would you do that? Why would you change your strategy like that? Right. And the internal polls of what everyone is seeing is, you know, that's directing them for where they need to go. So why is Biden going to Pittsburgh, you know, uh, on 24 hours notice when he said he wasn't even going to start campaigning for a week? Why is Biden uh, three or four months ago having said, you know, putting door to door people knocking on door to door or boots on the ground is very dangerous in the current environment. And now he's doing that. He's doing that in Michigan. He's doing it in Grand Rapids. So why the change in strategy? Does it, you know, so that to me says that Biden's internal polling says it's very, very close or they're behind and they right. have to switch strategies. So the polls are interesting and they should not be ignored. But watch where people are being put and why they're being put there and why are people changing strategies and that is the real tell i think of the state of play so you know is it biden's to lose yeah yeah, probably but he's doing some interesting things in two of the three major swing states that i think is very 
you know, they obviously are seeing something and they're concerned. So that, that tells you something. So I'm not, I'm not ready to kind of let it, let it just run away for a blue wave or Biden victory. Fair enough. Um, I'd love to to switch gears from the horse race, which obviously you think is a lot tighter than we're seeing on the, the headline uh, figures um, and talk about market reactions. And I sure. think I'd like to, to talk about maybe short term and then longer term reaction. Um, and the scenario you're describing where uh, Michigan, Pennsylvania, not decided on the day of or or in fact look like they go to Trump on election day only to yep. revert or, or become more uh, close in the yep. days or weeks that follow. Um, I think that's for some people a nightmare scenario given Trump's um, comments on um, effectively if it's if he's not elected, it's been rigged um, and, yep. and those types of things. Um, in the event that we do get into a very tight um, uh, uh, election, um, what is the probability you think that Trump actually goes ahead and, and does something like that? And then secondarily, what are the what's the likely market response? Well, I think it depends. You know, does does someone have two seventy or or not? Which is the magic number for electoral yeah. college votes, right? You need two seventy, um, right? So. You know, so there's, so there's kind of two scenarios within the question. One scenario is someone's over, and the other person's not, and so you declare, right. but you haven't necessarily had all the votes come in. You know, in terms of not everybody's, not every state has been quote unquote certified or what what have you. Another sure. scenario would be that neither person is is above 270 because there are multiple states that haven't come in, and so. You know, so there, that it's tough to declare victory unless you have 270, in my opinion. And oh, Trump, who knows, right? But it's very, I think you need to be over 270. But if you're seeing, so kind of bringing back to where it was maybe five, seven minutes ago, I think Pennsylvania is worth 20 or 20, a little over 20 electoral college votes. Um, you know, if it's, if Trump has slightly over 270, but PA hasn't certified yet, and you can easily see that come back and flip that so it's plus 20 and minus 20 kind of like an accounting right. you know debits and credits um then you know i think that's a little more i think that's a little more challenging and trump will have you know difficulty doing that uh at least you know his inner circle might be pushing him to not do that he might do it anyway but the, you know that i think would be an issue but i think markets you know markets will be very um I think markets always don't like uncertainty, right? And I think there's a relatively high probability of uncertainty coming out of this election in terms of knowing what's going to happen and 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 what who the winner is. There are too many rabbit holes here with the mail-in voting, the swing states, um, the amount of time that uh, states have to count their votes. Some states right. are really good at it because they've got the apparatus in place. Some are not, you know. I mean, already, I think I saw it this morning, Reuters put it out. As of this point, four years ago, 75,000 uh, votes had been cast pre-election. Uh, we are now at 3.8 million uh, yeah. already, right? And yeah. some, of those can be, some of those can be counted ahead of time because it depends on the state and each state has a different rule. But a lot of the states don't count until the day of and particularly after the um, uh, after the polls have closed. 
So it's the sheer number, it's the sheer volume of mail, for lack of a better term. And someone has to, or people have to get through it. And it's just, right. it's just, it takes time. It takes time to go through that pile of paper. So I think that the, you know, markets won't like uncertainty. Um, to me, the initial, the, to me, the best trade there is is the yen trade for sure. Um, I like being long yen. We have some of that on through the election. We've had it on for a while um, with the notion that there was going to be, you know, a, there was a mispriced risk of uh, there being a delay and uncertainty breeds concern and, you know, risk off right. type markets. Um, you know, equities, I think, are a little more challenging, but that's not my wheelhouse. I'm a fixed income guy. You know, my, my if we have a delayed reaction, I think all other things equal, you probably see a bid for treasuries. So um, prices higher, yields lower. Um, but, you know, I'm less sure or certain about that. The yen trade is 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 better and even yen crosses so forget dollar yen although that's one way to play it and we like playing it that way but you know like a like a like a canada yen short canada sure. yen or short aussie yen and for gotcha. example short aussie yen has a really good correlation with s p 500 broadly um so that you know if you're concerned about an equity sell-off um but wanted to play through a currency perspective and have and be long yen aussie yen would be a great way to play that um, so that's, that, that would be my kind of way to look at it. If there's a contested or, you know, unsure outcome for a few days. Fair enough. And maybe to, to change to more, we have some level of certainty after the election. Um, but talk to me about the scenario where the Democrats get the, the sweep. Yeah. They have the president, the Senate, the House right. versus some sort of mix, whether that's right. Trump elected and the House remain Democratic or the, or yeah. the Democrats lose a Senate. What, what are the differences there? For sure. I think, and again, from a fixed income perspective, because that's where yeah. you know I'm coming from. And we've been having great discussions on the team uh, the last, uh, last few weeks, including even today around this. So uh, it's somewhat fresh. Um, at least my opinion, I would say that a blue sweep is, in my opinion, likely to push yields higher, uh, steeper, and, and 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 you see the longer end move higher. Rationale behind that would be minimal uh, friction in terms of getting policy through, pretty big infrastructure plans, right. um, a bigger you know fi- you know COVID spending packages, um, bigger fiscal response. I guess is the best way to do it. And that probably means, and that means more issuance, and that probably means higher yields and a steeper curve. There's a huge caveat there. Uh, so I'll put on my macro hat instead of my politics hat for two seconds. Sure. Um, I do feel that the Fed is going to not be thrilled with a big rise in the longer end of the curve and tens and out. Um, sure. So depending on the speed and the and the rate of change. I feel that the Fed would look to try and, I don't want to say cap because that kind of brings in a few other things, but at least kind of put a lid on the amount of appreciation for longer term rates. The way it might might do that is twofold, particularly one, um, increasing the uh, weighted average maturity of its, uh, call it COVID QE purchases. So right now it's kind of Right now, it's kind of lower than five five years, the weighted average duration. They could easily ramp it up to closer to 10. Um, sure. They could also, you know, part two or B, they could uh, just increase the amount of, pur- like the nominal, no, sorry, nominal amount of purchases uh, sure. for 
and just and just issue more issue more paper. So the politics stuff is important and it definitely has a market impact, but it's always dangerous. And this is where the strategy people always get into trouble, uh, trying to not look at everything in a vacuum, right? Because there are multiple multi-dynamic things going on, reactions, you know, you know, and then causing other reactions. I feel like the Fed is is there uh, and will be there later this year if yields start to rise. Ten uh, year ten year yields start to rise above one percent. So anyway, I don't want to get too far off the question. So I do feel that sure. that's kind of the directionality for a blue wave. Um, but the but it's not going to run away higher, and I think that's very important for clients to keep in mind. I, I feel like that's you know the Fed is going to come in if that's. If that's the case, if we have kind of a status quo where we are now, um, a bit of policy paralysis, so to speak, I think, um, you know, we will have that. And it's tough to see yields move, um, you know, move materially higher, uh, particularly nominal yields. I think, you know, a slightly higher uh, confidence in break evens moving higher um, under, you know, kind of a no change scenario here. I think we can right. see break-evens move a little bit more um, as inflation pressures kind of keep mounting, but the Fed keeps a cap on everything given all that they've done in the last two, three months in terms of changing uh, you know, the policy uh, prescription uh, in terms of inflation like we spoke about earlier this year, which they you know, alluded to at Jackson Hole and did, did, gave a little more color on it um, at the September FOMC. So I think break-evens are a little bit more of a, a little bit more of a confident play, but uh yeah, I think it's going to be, you know, I, I, I don't see I don't see yields necessarily ripping higher here. Um, and then there's a lot of talk about the dollar, too, in terms of you know what might happen there. But uh, I kind of have this view and uh, I might prove, be proven wrong, but uh, I feel like doll, I feel like the U.S. exceptionalism story is coming to an end or it's already over. And I feel like uh, the dollar is becoming almost a heads I win, tails you lose situation where it's really it's got the potential to do depreciate almost no matter what happens from a uh, you know from an election perspective either you're going to have massive fiscal spending potentially um, or you're going to have more of the same in terms of you know the US kind of being less global more centrist um, you know that sort of thing and you can kind of make a scenario even though they're opposites but you can kind of make a scenario where the dollar depreciates after the election, almost no matter who is the president. Although, again, the Senate is a is an important factor here, you know, you know, especially for the fiscal spend stuff. Very interesting. If I could just summarize what uh, we've talked about uh, as we conclude. Um, so your view, the race much closer than the headlines would suggest. Um, nope. If it gets to the point where it is contested, that's going to uh, be bad for markets. Uh, you have some uh, yen currency um, positions on to, to benefit from that plausible scenario. Um, in the case of a blue wave, uh, you, you could see longer term rates uh, pressure to go up, although who knows what the Fed does to counter that. And yep. if we are staying status quo, break even rates, maybe move up a little bit. Um, but it's more or less status quo. Is that fair? Yeah. No, I think that's great. And obviously, you know, the election will come and go and there will be other macro drivers in the world that will sure. cons consume us and, and drive markets. And, you know, that's what we'll, that's what we'll be watching and here for to, you know, amend, amend the, uh, the views and uh, portfolios as, uh, 
as appropriate. Well, Dustin, thanks so much for spending the time to go through that today. Uh, look forward to having you back on uh, as you uh, as you continue to look at the portfolio and, uh, and indeed amend those positions. So thanks again, Dustin. You got it. Thanks a lot. The content of this podcast, including facts, views, opinions, and recommendations, is not to be used or construed as investment advice and is not an offer or an invitation to buy or sell any security. The content of this podcast should not be relied upon for any purposes and McKenzie Financial Corporation is not responsible for any reliance upon it. This podcast includes forward-looking information that reflects our current expectations or forecasts of future events. Forward-looking information is subject to risks, uncertainties, and assumptions that could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed herein. Our views are subject to change based on market conditions. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees, and expenses may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the fund facts and prospectus before investing. The indicated rates of returns are historical annual compounded total returns, including changes to unit values and reinvestment of all dividends or distributions and does not take into account sales, redemptions, distribution, or optional charges or income taxes payable by any security holder that would have reduced returns. 